All right, we did the Lakers yesterday with Darius Soriano. Time for the other LA team, maybe the better LA team this year, uh, the LA Clippers with the Athletics. Jovan Buha, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Great. I was getting a little nostalgic before you got on the line because I think that you were there when I did my first ever voice thing related to the NBA. It was one of those old Clipper blog live shows. Yes, yes. Where uh, that you used to do from the arena afterwards. You'd set up like headphones and uh, like put the the uh, laptop on top of the <laughs> the media row and like get the court behind us and, and like and shoot a show for like 40 minutes after a Clipper game. It was, uh, it's a long way from those days, I guess. Those, those were the good old days. <laughs> the beginning of lob city yeah that's right god i mean it's pretty amazing to think of all the iterations this franchise uh, has been through uh, since then so uh, i guess the place that i wanted to start with this team is not necessarily who, who they added but to talk about what they were last year and kind of establish a baseline for what they have have added so they were uh 48 and 34 a year ago ended up losing as the eighth seed to the warriors in six pretty hard fought games um and so it's kind of the thought has been at you know they had this awesome team they won 48 games they're adding paul george and Kawhi leonard now they're going to be awesome how much do you buy into that line of thinking or do you think that there's some more nuance required than that I think there's a little bit more nuance required just because uh, it's not as simple as just adding Kawhi and PG to last year's team because they they lost Shea Gilgis-Alexander, they lost Danilo Gallinari, and those were really two big pieces for them offensively. Uh, you know, Gallo probably was their best player start to finish last season. Shea really came into his own, uh, you know, after the all-star break and kind of peaked in the playoffs. I think it was that uh, game five, uh, or no, it was game four where they, they lost that game, uh, but uh, he had 25 points uh, was his career high at that time. And, you know, he was guarded by Clay, guarded by Draymond, scored on, you know, them kind of effortlessly. And it was just like, this is what we'd been seeing all season, sort of the, the manifestation of, of Shea uh, coming alive on the national stage. So I think they're going to miss both of those guys and, and they're really going to miss them when you know to start the season when pg's out for the first few weeks or when Kawhi takes a night off like it's not just going to be last season's clippers team without them it's going to be last season's clippers team without shea and gallo which you know is not a 48 win team i don't even know if that's a 41 team so i think it's going to be interesting to me just how they manage all this stuff with load management you know Kawhi's come out and said that he plans on resting less but you know less he rested 22 games so is less 15 games is that 10 games is that eight games like we don't know that yet uh, from from what I've heard, it sounds like ten to twelve games, but that could change. Uh, and then Paul George, like he's aiming to be back in November, but November's thirty days long. So is that uh, <laughs> you know, November first or is that November thirtieth? We don't know that yet. So uh, you know, it sounds like he's angling towards the earlier side, but from what I've heard, it sounds like mid to late November still. So you know, they could be without PG for the first fifteen games of the season. At which point, uh, you know, they have a pretty difficult schedule to start the season. If you look at you know, I think they play Utah twice, the, the Lakers, the Celtics. Uh, and I think the Raptors and, and a couple other, you know, playoff teams where it's like, this is not just a cakewalk. They're going to start like 10 and 5, 11 and 4. Like they could easily be like 8 and 7 to start the season. Uh, so I'm just really intrigued how they kind of manage all this load management. I, I expect when Paul George is actually healthy, he's going to be on a, a load management program where he rests, uh, occasionally. So to me, like just looking at it as they added Kawhi and PG, like, yes, that, that's the case come playoff time, uh, when it's really going to matter. But I think it is way more complex than that. Uh, 
especially during the regular season yeah and obviously the season-long performance for the clippers last year uh, there's a few reasons to uh, talk about that one is just that they traded a bunch of their team halfway through this season yeah. right? i mean tobias Harris started the season was getting all-star consideration for these guys uh, early on um you know boban was on the team uh, so it's uh avery bradley yeah yeah i mean uh, although you know that was kind of like addition or addition yeah. by subtraction moving on from him because he was one of the worst players in the nba last year and, um, and marcin gortat was too yeah no that's true too yeah i mean he basically was done uh after that so uh and also their point differential uh, i think they're the luckiest team mm-hmm. in basketball a year ago at the point differential of a 43 win team so that's probably something uh, to consider in this as well um but of course one of the things that does remain is Montrose harrell lou williams that unstoppable bench pick and roll that really you know even the warriors were bedeviled in uh their two losses in oakland to the clippers and uh so that's coming back how do you think that those two guys which really you know in a lot of ways were the basis of what they were doing you know gallo was uh, maybe their best player but also you know 21 22 usage wasn't the guy they're going to just go to every time down the end of games how do you see when everyone's healthy now that lou williams mantras harrell what their roles are are going to be they're closing games are they just going to be look real good from the bench like uh, uh but then you know not finish out games how do you see them fitting in with you know what is more a more mature team with championship aspirations as opposed to a team that's just trying to get into the playoffs so I think to, to your point, these are the two guys that are going to have to sacrifice the most. And I, I think I wrote about this right after they acquired PG and Kawhi. And I, I said, I think Lou Williams is, is not going to close games. Like he's going to close, he's still going to close some games, but last season they relied on him so heavily in the clutch. Um, you know, he really was the, the crunch time offense and he actually did pretty well in that position. Uh, you know, I, I think, uh, if you're just looking at like, you know, I guess points in the clutch, I think he was in the top 10 or, or something close to that on, on average. And he, he was a pretty good crunch time performer. He, he hit a few game winners, some, some pretty timely shots in like the last 30 seconds of games and stuff. But as we've, as you guys have talked about, as I've talked about on my podcast, like defensively, he is one of the worst guards in the league. And the Clippers kind of had to just put up with that last season because they needed his offense. But that's no longer the case. You have Kawhi Leonard, you have Paul George. Those are going to be your two go-to guys to close games. So I actually see guys like Landry Shamit and Patrick Beverly uh, actually gaining in value because you're going to want those guys spacing or around Kawhi and PG. You're going to want those guys defensively. Like Landry, I think is a bit of an underrated defender. You, you saw what he did in the playoffs against Steph. Uh, he held his own to an extent, uh, you know, defended Clay okay too. And then Pat, you know, is actually kind of transitioned to defending wings more than small guards, but I, I still think they're going to use him defensively in that kind of role when they play a Damian Lillard or a Russell Westbrook or something like that. So I think those guys as superior spot up shooters are going to grow in value. Whereas Lou is someone that needs the ball and, you know, he's not a bad spot up shooter, but he's about a league average. I think he's around 35, 36%. So I just think, you know, similar to the, it's not the level of the Westbrook Harden dynamic where you're like, what does, you know, Westbrook do without the ball? But there is some of that where it's like, if Lou doesn't have the ball in his hands, he's not the most active off ball guy. So I think a lot of the stuff they did with Landry uh, was similar stuff to what they did with JJ. And I think, you know, Pat is just the ideal guy. You saw what he did in Houston with Harden. Uh, he's just the perfect kind of three and D guy to put next to two ball dominant wings. Uh, so I think those two guys are going to actually close more games uh, moving forward. And then with Trez, I, I think, you know, well, quick, quickly uh, on Lou before, before we turn there, I, 
I'm in complete agreement with you there. I think uh, they had to basically they had the Lou Williams scheme <laughs> when they played it against the Warriors, which was basically we're going to switch everything, and then if they throw it to Lou Williams, man, we just instantly go into double team. Like that was that was their scheme. But by my recollection, yeah, you correct me if I if I'm no. wrong there. And then uh, in the playoffs, and Seth Partno just did a piece on you know which uh roles for perimeter players and basically way up on the upper left of his graph was you know he he did a spectrum between guys who hide on the lowest usage players and guys who guard the highest usage players and Lou Williams was like an outlier like so far out on the left of his graph like you couldn't even <laughs> see him so yeah I, I'm in totally agreeing with you uh about his defense but yeah you're, you're gonna move on to to Trez here well yeah and, and Doc had a you know Doc has talked about it Doc will say you know teams will target Lou like it, it's something the coaching staff talks about like they're very well aware of that Lou's even aware of that like Lou will yeah. <laughs> say like on the record like you know uh, defense isn't my strong suit so he, they don't hide from that um but yeah, yeah it's and, and if you if you look at uh you know real high level conference finals type of teams generally you don't have a guy like lou williams closing games right it just yeah. who's that bad defensively you just as i've danny and i've talked about this a lot of just the further you get into the playoffs a lot of times it's more about not having weaknesses sometimes that and just having enough strengths rather than you just when there's a place that's just so obvious to attack like it becomes pretty difficult yeah, and one thing that Doc said that I thought was really interesting was someone asked him if Lou was going to continue closing games, and he he clarified, he kind of played it down the middle where he clarified, he's like, Lou is a closer. You saw what he did last season, but moving forward, it's going to be about closing lineups and closing configurations and who fits around Kawhi and PG. And that to me kind of validated what I've been thinking, which is you know there will be some nights where you know Kawhi rests or Paul is out and and you do go to Lou or one of those guys gets in foul trouble or, or you know for whatever reason they're they're not maybe they're having an off night and, and you insert Lou in there for some offense but even last season they did a lot of offense defense subs with Lou and Pat uh you know anytime Doc could take Lou out you know he would put Pat in or uh Shea or Avery Bradley so I, I do think already you kind of saw that last season even when they needed his offense they were willing to bench him uh, I think it's just going to be even more apparent this season um so he's really the one guy on this team that I think could be upset by his role potentially and um you know I think for chemistry wise the Clippers are, are at the top of the league uh you know this is a team that spends a lot of time together in the summer they did a lot of off-season stuff they went on a fishing trip paintball trip all this different stuff but uh, I, I do think Lou is going to have to take a back seat and that's kind of my one thing with the rotation where I'm like I don't you know he's going from the man on a playoff team to potentially not even closing games that's a pretty big adjustment uh but to Trez I think it's a similar thing where they needed Trez's offense you know he, he was so good in that pick and roll with Lou Williams um I, I think statistically last season and he was the second best role man in the league behind Rudy Gobert. And, you know, they, they needed that offense. But now I think Trez's limitations, which are he's about six, seven. Uh, he, he can block some shots, but he's not a rim protector, not a rim deterrent. And he's not a good defensive rebounder. And I think those things, when you're facing the Anthony Davises, the yeah, and, and he Jokic's, can't switch either. Like he's kind of got Kenneth Fareed disease where he doesn't really move his feet well. Like you'd think he'd be like, just to look at him like, oh, this guy's got like pretty quick feet, but he really just kind of 
doesn't, it seems like to me. Yeah, he, he's okay. Like, he's okay at it. There are some times, but I, I think that's where you're going to see Jermichael Green, who, uh, yeah. you know, really was kind of the, the breakout guy for the Clippers in the playoffs where he replaced Zubots in the starting lineup. Um, you know, there, there's a few games last season where, you know, one game he defended Luka Doncic and, uh, you know, in the playoffs he defended Kevin Durant a little bit. And at that point, Kevin Durant was just going supernova. So it didn't really matter who they put on him, but I thought he did a fairly, you know, he was in position at least, you know, there's nothing you could really do when a six foot 11 guy is just raising up like that. But I, I thought Jermichael really stepped up. Now, the one thing with Jermichael and Doc has already talked about it a little bit in training camp is his shooting where he had never shot the ball at the level he did as a clipper. Uh, yeah. I think overall combining the playoffs and the regular season, he was at like 44, 45%. Like that's probably not sustainable. Uh, and Doc has already said in training camp, he hasn't been shooting as well as he did last season. So that's kind of the thing to watch with Jermichael where uh, he kind of all of a sudden just became a really good three-point shooter. And if he can't at least maintain that 39 to 40%, I think he shot 42% of the regular season with the Clippers. Uh, like that kind of makes him a little bit unplayable because that was kind of his one skill offensively was he was spacing the floor, knocking down threes, uh, usually around the Lou Trez pick and roll. But I think now they actually might close games with him at the five instead of Trez. And Zubots is another option. Zubots is, um, I think he kind of got some, you know, some deserved criticism because of the Warrior series. But uh, he actually just talked about this today at, at practice where he's like, look, I watched them play Ennis Cantor off the floor. I watched them play Clint Capella off the floor. The one guy they didn't really play off the floor was Marc Gasol. And that's why I really tried to study this summer. So uh, Zubats is very self-aware yeah. of his limitations. Uh, he is trying, you know, he lost 10 pounds, is trying to be in better shape for those types of matchups. But we've seen the Warriors play centers off the court. So I, I think, you know, for, for that to happen to Zubats isn't necessarily like a surprise. If it had happened against Portland or Denver or one of those types of teams, I think that would have been a little more surprising. So I think, I guess, moving forward, we're going to see more of Zubats or Jermichael at the five closing games because the Clippers are going to need defense. They're going to need rebounding. And those guys are just better uh, than Trez at that. Yeah. And, and it's just, again, it goes back to not needing him because you got Paul George and you got Kawhi Leonard on your team now to create a little bit. Yeah. And Green, I mean, I thought he just looked so much freer in a Clippers uniform. I think he really upped his three-point attempt right. He was taking mm-hmm. more difficult shots. I always wanted to see him shoot more because he had some decent percentages in Memphis, but just for whatever reason, whether it was their scheme or their, whether he just didn't feel confident or whatever it was, you know, he didn't have that kind of bombing mentality that he did. So yeah, I think he could get back to that. But if you're talking about him as a small ball center, now, you know, he doesn't necessarily need to be that level of three-point shooter. I think as long as he can just knock him down when he's wide open, you know, and even shoot 35% enough where he's going to get guarded. Mm -hmm. uh, You know, I think the the further you go down the positional spectrum, the less shooting you need to still maybe be an asset. So if you think he's going to play center, I do think that could be extremely intriguing uh, to see like a big switch lineup from that with George and PG and Green in the front court. Um, that's something I hope they try. We'll see how that works. Then they got, uh, you know, Magruder, uh, the embarrassment of riches on the wings here, <laughs> Magruder and Mo Harkless, who both of whom they got for nothing. Yeah. I mean, those are like two rotation players. Yeah, Mo has been the standout guy in training camp outside of uh, their second round rookie, yeah. Terrence Mann. But- yeah, because he wasn't healthy for a lot of last year coming off of that knee surgery. Yeah, yeah. So I actually talked to Jason Quick about that, our Trailblazers reporter, and he kind of gave me that rundown of, um, you know, Mo kind of forced it in that playoff series against the Pelicans, which is kind of funny in retrospect. Oh, yeah. I was, <laughs> I was so critical of him doing that. It, like coming back after surgery for like two weeks. I mean, yeah. and it, like they didn't have a recent example of that in the past that that wasn't going to work of Brandon Roy. Like there was just, I, I was, I was not happy that, that that ended up happening. But yeah. So, so Jason basically told me like that kind of compromised half of his season last year where, 
it, it took him a while to find his, his shot, just find his footing offensively and defensively. He kind of took a step or two back, but the, the Clippers have been raving about him. And right now he's actually penciled in as the starting small four, or I mean, a uh, starting four. Uh, they're, they're viewing, I think the opening night lineup right now would be Zubats at the five, Mo Harkless at the four, uh, Kawhi at the three, Landry Shaman at the two and Pat Beverly uh, at point guard. So Mo, you know, Mo, I think originally was kind of penciled in as a bench guy, but he's outplayed Jamichael Green up to this point. And that, that's kind of his role right now. And, you know, they're talking about just uh, defensively, the, the ability to switch between him, Paul and Kawhi seamlessly. Uh, offensively, he's not the shooter that Jamichael is, but they, they like his, his just his floor spacing in, in terms of his cutting, his off ball movement. Uh, you, you saw it in the, the game against the Shanghai Sharks, which, you know, with the caveat that it's the preseason and it was against, you know, not an NBA caliber opponent. Yeah. Um, you know, he was in that dunker spot a lot, uh, you know, cutting for offensive rebounds. And I think that's kind of the, the way they view him. Uh, now I think, I think Doc has talked about this recently where they're going to have this sliding starting lineup. So I actually could see Jermichael Green maybe starting against the Lakers because of Anthony Davis. Uh, and he said specifically, it seems like Jermichael and Mo are going to split time at the four and, and kind of be interchangeable on any given night. But yeah, Mo has really been, uh, the standout guy that the whole coaching staff and, and video staff has, has been talking up. Uh, Rodney, Rodney, you kind of was that to start training camp, but Terrence Mann has played so well that, uh, it seems like Rodney might be the odd man out of that second unit, uh, where now he's kind of the 11th guy in the rotation. And it looks like the Clippers are going to go with Terrence Mann at point guard. Um, so he's really just kind of come out of nowhere. Uh, they really like him though. They, they like his court vision. They like his size, you know, similar to kind of Shea, uh, you know, he's a six, six point guard, uh, really hasn't played point guard though. So that's kind of the weird thing with it was he was a wing at Florida state yeah. and they played him at some at point at, during summer league. He did really well. was averaging like six, seven assists a game and they've kept him there. And, and now they're viewing him as the backup point guard. So, um, you know, th- there's been some shuffling of the rotation, I guess, during training camp, but to, to your point, like this is an embarrassment of riches. If, if, uh, if uh, Rodney Magruder is your 11th man, like you, you have some pretty good problems. Yeah. And they also, not only an embarrassment of riches and just players, but just guys who really fit the modern game. And I think that I've been talking about how the Warriors with their demise, there isn't necessarily a clear team out there that really is just going to like run you off the, the floor with all these defensive wings and shooting ability and you just you can't go big against them the clippers i don't know if they're going to be but they are probably the best chance of being the heirs to the warriors that maybe they just find this way of playing that other teams just can't match up with because they just don't have the athleticism on the wing to deal with it i mean i was talking with darius yesterday about okay if you're the lakers you know who's going to guard george and who's going to guard Kawhi? right like how many teams have a player who can guard both of those guys or, or two players who can guard both of those guys. So, uh, and having this depth with guys like Magruder, Green, Harkless, I think that really kind of plays into this. Um, and, also kind of part of why i agree with your point earlier of you know maybe lou williams and trez they're they could be really good off the bench they pop up the bench that they win those bench minutes but then when it's really time to win you know those guys don't necessarily fit into that ethos that i was talking about there yeah and you you actually kind of saw that in the home games against the warriors where for whatever reason in that series the clippers played much better at oracle than (laughs) at staples and when when the warriors kind of contained their pick and roll and and, you know it was usually kavon looney and, and andre Iguodala, like 
those two couldn't really do anything. And, you know, defensively, it's not like they were stopping them. So I I just, it's such a, you know, such a small margin uh, for error with with those two, where if they're not scoring and being effective offensively, you know, they're not giving you much on the other end. So that's where I I think you probably favor Jamichael or Zoo uh, or Pat and Landry, because those two, at least, you you know, defensively, they're going to kind of hold their own, um, or even more so in the the case of Pat. But uh, yeah, so I, I think, that's kind of the the new development from last season is I do think you'll see less of Lou and Trez in crunch time. Before we learn more about the Clippers from an expert, I want to encourage you to learn from experts in your civilian non-basketball life from Masterclass. Before Masterclass became a sponsor, my wife actually started taking their classes. She's looking into trying to do some writing on the side. And so she was enticed by Margaret Atwood's class. But she also decided to sign up for their annual all-access pass so that she can get every masterclass. And now she's uh, done a bunch of other ones uh, as well. I've checked out the Steph Curry class. Unfortunately, I haven't had time to actually take it uh, or my shooting would be a lot better. It's it's pretty broke right now, honestly. But I really was impressed with the quality of the instruction. The fact that it's not just a video. They actually give you drills, interactive stuff uh, that you can do uh, as well. Also, the uh, the guy who does the what not to do on Steph's video is pretty funny. It's worth uh, just tuning in for that uh, alone. And they've got amazing cooking classes, amazing acting classes. Serena Williams teaches tennis. It's really just the highest quality product of this ilk that I've ever seen and the absolute best experts. And because obviously these are people with huge reputations, they make sure that the class is everything you would expect from some of the big names who are doing this. So you can get unlimited access to every master class. And as a listener of Dunkton, you can get 15% off that annual all access pass at masterclass.com slash cap space. Don't forget that slash cap space URL. Easy to remember because we talked about all this on the program. That's masterclass.com slash cap space for 15% off masterclass. And don't forget that slash cap space URL to let them know that you came from us. Yeah, you mentioned Terrence Mann. I th- certainly thought he was impressive and some really turned the ball over like crazy, yeah. but I thought just his force getting to the basket showed pretty good vision. His physicality, you know, for, what was he, the 48th pick? Yeah, 48th. Right? Yeah, so, uh, you know, all that looked good. I will believe it when I see it of him lasting the season as the backup point guard, just because I think the fit is not there between him and Lou Williams. Maybe it is defensively, but just because man the biggest weakness in his game is shooting Mm -hmm. and Lou is going to be the guy with the ball it doesn't seem like an amazing fit between those two and if you're going to go to that deadly pick and roll I mean maybe it could work in the regular season when teams just aren't as locked in especially from a bench unit uh but that's one where the 48th pick earning a rotation spot on on a team like this especially when he has that one very clear limitation uh that's one where I'm a little skeptical that that can persist even though you know I believe you that they're planning on doing that now but I I think that that may not last. No, I I think I totally agree with you. Like I I'm skeptical of it because I'm like, what is he doing when Lou has the ball and they're running yeah. this pick and roll? Like you know, you want, I, and that's another reason why Jamichael might not start is because they kind of formed a synergy last season with Trez, Jamichael, and Lou on that second unit. Yeah, that the, the coaching staff really liked. So you know, with Jamichael shooting the ball so well, they really liked him as that kind of release valve on the weak side where you know if if Lou got doubled or they they collapse on Trez, he could kick it out to Jamichael. So if you're kind of using Jamichael in that similar role and, and then you're 
potentially using Landry Shamit as the other shooter, uh, assuming Paul and Kawhi are at the two and the three in the starting lineup, you know, that other spot is going to be important. And that's where Rodney Magruder probably is more valuable than Terrence Mann because he's a better shooter than him. Uh, so I, I'm with you. I, I'm skeptical of it. It's just every time I kind of, am, you know, I've been skeptical of it this entire time. Like fans have been asking me, uh, you know, on, in the athletic comment section and on Twitter, like, you know, what's up with Terrence Mann? Is he going to have a role? Is he going to play? And I keep being like, I'm not so sure, but you know, they, they played him a lot. He, he was the backup point guard in, in the first preseason game. He started in the, in the second preseason game. And one person on the coaching staff actually told me they wouldn't be surprised if he starts games for Pat at some point in the season. So yeah, I, I'm, Beverly I'm with is you another overall. potential I'm, rest candidate. There, yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. So it sounds like they might rest Pat a little bit. They might rest Lou a little bit as well. Uh, so th- th- this is going to be team rest all season. And, and that's why I think the regular how much season. Does, how much do you think it matters? How much, how much do you think it matters if they don't get a top four seed? I think, you think it, they're just going to be so I think good. It matters just from the historical perspective of, um, it, you know, it seems like most champions or at least conference champions tend to be like a top three or four seed. So if they end up somehow five or six, you're going to have to win at least two series on the road, uh, if not three, which is difficult, you know, and I don't, I, I agree with you to the, to the point that I think on paper, this is, in my opinion, probably the, the best 10 man rotation in basketball, if not maybe even 11, if Terrence really pops as a rotation caliber guy. But I don't think there, there's a gap between them and whoever's the second best team or, or third best team the way there was between the Warriors and, and the second best or third best teams in, in years past. So to me, it's like, you know, if, if they have to win three series on the road in the West, like that, that's just brutal. And I think they can do it. It wouldn't surprise me. But if you're saying you have to go beat, uh, you know, the, the Jazz, the Rockets and the Lakers all on the road, like that, that's going to be pretty tough. So I, I, I think it matters. And, and that's where they're kind of figuring out, you know, uh, just have, from having conversations with people there, they're trying to figure out what the right balance is of, you know, we want to keep Kawhi healthy. We want to honor the, this load management program that he adopted in Toronto last season. But we also need him, especially with the the Paul George factor where he might miss a month and then he might miss another, you know, 5, 10, 12 games uh, due to rest throughout the rest of the season. So if you have Paul George potentially missing 20 to 25 games, you can't just have Kawhi miss another 20 games. Otherwise, maybe you're a 45, 47 win team. So I think how they kind of juggle that is going to be really interesting. Uh, so I I would say it doesn't matter as much as it might for the Lakers or, or the Rockets or some of the other teams in the West. But if they enter as the five or six seed, I don't know if you can really pick them as the favorites. Yeah. I mean, and even if you say, hey, you know what? Like they have a 60% chance of winning this series on the road, which I mean, there are very few road series in NBA history where you would say that about it. You know, maybe some of those Cleveland teams that or, or Heat teams that didn't get the number one seed. I actually think the Heat had the number one seed every, every year except for two. But, uh, or you know the Warriors the year that they didn't get the number one seed but uh yeah I mean it is it is definitely tough even if you have a 60% chance of winning three series in a row that's not you know a great chance of actually making it through all three of those so um when George and Leonard are both healthy what do you think of the starting lineup what do you think is the closing lineup so the, the starting lineup I think will be Zubats, Harkless, Kawhi, PG and Pat that'll probably be on average the the, the most used starting lineup uh that, that- that's interesting to see. I think I would want to, I would go more towards the direction of Jamichael Green or Shamit because I think like, because if you have Harkless and Zubach out there, I think that just makes it too difficult on, I mean, granted, this is the starting lineup and, you know, Doc doesn't seem to think that starting lineups matter based on, on his <laughs> team the, the last couple of years. Uh, but 
I mean, that to me, sorry to interrupt you, but I mean, no, no. that to me, it just doesn't seem like it has enough shooting. I think Green or more likely Shamit to me, it's just the question of, all right, I guess, ooh, somebody has to play the four now between so that, Kawhi and, <laughs> and PG. But that, you know, that, I mean, that seems obvious to me that that's the best way to do it. That That's the way it was put to me that, that someone told me. It was like, do we really want to pick this battle from the jump of making one of these two guys play the four? Because the, the example I've used uh, when I've written about it is LeBron James and Kevin Durant have never never embraced playing the four at least starting at that position and both of those guys are bigger than Kawhi and pg at least height wise or you know lebron it's you know height and, yeah. and weight well but- and pg had that flap years ago with uh with the pacers even when he didn't even have to guard the fours it yeah. was cj miles who had to do it <laughs> but even just the idea that he normally could be the four was like anathema to him yeah and it w- which is why it sounds like he's technically going to be the two in in these configurations where it'll be quiet the three paul George to the two i actually it was funny uh, I, they could start shaman at the four just call him the four. yeah <laughs> you know i asked doc about it and he didn't want to go into it. like it was funny because he, he was talking about uh mo playing the three and the four and and how they like his versatility. And then I asked them about uh, PG and Kawhi. I'm like, they've both traditionally been threes. So naturally you can't play both of them at the three. So are you going to go in a two, three configuration or a three, four? And he was all, well, we don't believe in positions. And that's like the last answer <laughs> you were just talking about positions. But I think that was like, I think it's going to be a two, three with Kawhi and PG. I think they're going to go with someone at the four. Now to your point, I've been saying Jamichael should be the four for, from like, I'm, a, I'm in agreement with you that I think it should be Landry. I think they should play small ball, go with one of those two at the four. And yeah. that's their best possible five man starting lineup. But it sounds they like need it's not that happen. awesome shooter too. Like, I think, I think Shamit is like really important for them. Yeah. No, I, 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 I couldn't agree more. So that's where yeah. I think they're probably going to close games with that lineup. Uh, but it, starting games, cause you, you know, most teams are still, if, if you look at like depth charts, like most teams are still starting two bigs. And do you want, if you're already trying to preserve Kawhi and PG, you know, it sounds like one potential thing is going to be not having them go as hard and, and practice uh you know that might be kind of a compromise versus resting them in games will just be all right tonight or today you don't have to do five on five work just do five on oh or, or shell work and you know that might be one compromise for them but if you're trying to rest these guys for the playoffs and and keep it so they don't have to miss as many games as they have in the past i think that's maybe where you make that compromise of like okay if they really don't want to bang with a blake griffin or a julius randall or a lamarcus aldridge we'll have mo harkless do that or we'll have jamichael green do that yeah and and you know kind of just make that compromise but so i i'm with you though i think jamichael probably should start yeah. because he's better suited to defend bigs uh but as for the closing lineup i think it's probably going to be Jamichael or Trez at center and that'll probably play out depending on who plays better uh Kawhi and PG Landry and Pat and there might be some nights they go Lou but that's that's going to be the the really weird thing with this lineup is it's just going to be so many moving pieces where I think you're going to see a lot of different closing lineups it's really going to be personnel based uh so you know I just had to write something for the athletic about a fantasy basketball I was like I honestly wouldn't want to own any of the Clippers this season because you're you're (laughs) gonna have like Landry Shamit you know when they're health when Kawhi and PG are healthy might play 15 minutes one night when one of them's gone might play 32 minutes so like you just don't know this is going to be a very influx rotation i think 
think, all season. Yeah, and to be, to clarify what I was saying, I mean, I, I kind of understand more the thought of, you know, having them be the two and the three during the regular season, but I think you can't start games that way necessarily in the playoffs when it really is going to matter because you just, you have to get Shamit or some more shooting on the floor. Maybe, maybe what ends up, what they would end up doing is you still play George and Leonard at the two and the three and you start Harkless and Jermichael Green. You know, maybe that yeah. could be something that you could do or, or close with that, obviously, as well. I mean, they do have, and Magruder could figure in there somehow too. I mean, there's, they do have a ton of options. It's going to be very interesting for uh, DACA to work this out. Um, what is something about this team that maybe you think people aren't picking up on in terms of the national narrative? I mean, I guess we, we talked about Lou Williams not closing games. Maybe that that would be one. I don't think, you know, people probably just assume, oh, Lou Williams, throw him in there. More yeah. talent with all these guys. You know, the, they'll be unstoppable. Um, but anything else come to mind of just like that's kind of been an undercovered story with this group? I think this has gotten a little bit of coverage, but maybe not as much as it should. I think the one thing that could really undo this team would be facing a really big uh good team on the interior and the there's one team that kind of fits that profile uh, across the hall where I, I do think like you know last season and last season was a bit of a weird season because like you said they traded basically half their team uh at the trade deadline and the center rotation was pretty bad all, all season you know Zubats kind of stepped in and just by virtue of not being Marcin Gortat improved the center play uh but yeah. you know, uh, although in fairness to Gortat I mean I, I think he was washed but that starting unit that they had before uh the trade deadline was awful like yeah, the, it, no. he was he was not set up to succeed there but in fairness to him I, I know this is the, I don't want to turn this into the Martin Marcin Gortat podcast but <laughs> it was uh yeah him and Avery Bradley out well, there together was was rough I I, I have I've spilled lots of thoughts on Avery Bradley and uh, how I don't think that's going to work <laughs> with, with the Lakers, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, like to, to that point, it was just so bad last season where, you know, pretty much every really elite good big man torched the Clippers at, at some point. And like, you know, the, the two games in Denver, they got blown out and, and Jokic just killed them. Uh, AD had a, had a couple like 35 point plus games against them. Joel Embiid absolutely destroyed them. And while I think overall their defense should be better, especially on the perimeter, uh, where just, you know, they were so small last season, even after the trades where, I mean, they're basically starting Shea was their point guard at six, six, which is big. But then Landry and, and Pat as their two threes were six, one and like six, four. And it was just like, this is such a small team on the perimeter. Now that's gone. You know, if you're going PG and Kawhi two, three, you know, that, that might be the biggest two, three combo in the league. Uh, so that is going to be a nice welcome addition defensively. I think Rodney Magruder is going to help Mo Harkless. Like overall, I think they should be a better team than, than last season, but the interior is still not fixed. And, and, you know, they still have, I think a lot of the same issues and that's where it's a little bit kind of confusing to me, you know, signing a Patrick Patterson who doesn't, you know, if anything, I, the guy I really thought they should have signed was Joakim Noah. And oh uh, yeah, that just occurred to me. They were going to yeah, work him out. And, um, you know, from what I heard, it sounds like he kind of has some knee complications going on. So he's not fully healthy. Otherwise they, they may have signed him, but you know, adding a guy like Patrick Patterson just doesn't make sense to me because he's basically a worse version of Jermichael Green. And yeah. he's a guy who at 30 years old, you know, you got to think his best days are behind him. Yeah. And, I mean, well, he hasn't been effective. He's been terrible for the two i mean the oklahoma city desperately needed anything that he could provide of his former skill set and since that knee surgery has just never been the same yeah so the, so kind of 
almost wasting a rock. Like, you know, even in training camp, he's been going with the third and fourth units. Like on one side of the court, you have the, the bench versus the starters. On the other side of the court, you have the, you know, uh, two way guys, the exhibit 10 guys, the G League guys, and Patrick Patterson. And it's just like, I don't see any way this guy plays during the regular season. And this isn't to bash him by any means, but it's just like, I felt like they would have been better served signing another center because I just, I, I've been thinking about it. I'm like, if Zubats gets in foul trouble, you know, the other game against Shanghai, he fouled out in 11 minutes. And it's like, if he gets in foul trouble or he gets injured or, or Jermichael or Trez, something happens to them. This team's down to like two rotation bigs. And I just don't really know what they do at that point. Like maybe you, you trade someone to get another big, but I just looking at the buyout market. I don't know who's going to be available, but I just think not kind of filling another center in the rotation could actually potentially hurt them, especially because if you look at the best teams in the league, you know, Denver has Jokic, uh, the Lakers have AD, the, the Bucks have Brooke Lopez, who's maybe not that imposing, but you're still a good center. Uh, the Sixers have Joel Embiid and Al Horford. Now, like the best teams that they're going to have to face at some point have really good centers. And I guess that's my one thing with this team where if there is a fatal flaw that ultimately costs them, I'm just a little bit worried of the interior defense, the rim protection, and the overall defensive rebounding. This wasn't a good defensive rebounding team last year uh, that, that cost them. And just you know, using games I remember off the top of my head, like there was multiple games where they're in close games and lost because of pivotal offensive rebounds they gave up. And I think again, that should be better, you know, playing Kawhi, playing PG. Those guys are really good rebounding wings, but that doesn't all of a sudden fix that kind of hole at center. So I know people have talked about it a little bit as kind of the, the one weakness of this roster, but even watching them play the Sharks, who you knew, you know, Donatus Montiunis was the, the one kind of NBA caliber guy on that team. He still lit them up. I think he had, you know, 29 points and like 13 rebounds. He had 10 assists. So he, he, he made some pretty bad decisions offensively, but like he fouled out Zubots, you know, Trez and foul trouble. 10 turnovers, you mean? Yeah, t- sorry, 10 turnovers. Yeah. Um, and it was like, just if this guy's lighting you guys up, like what is Joel Embiid going to do? What What is Nikola Jokic going to do? What is Anthony Davis going to do? So that's my one thing heading into the season is I'm a little bit concerned with the, the interior defense. Yeah, and uh, real quick, we don't have to spend more than like 30 seconds on it, but do you think uh, Fiandu Kabengale, Kevin Gale, Kevin Gale, right? That's yeah, how you Kevin say Gale, it? Yeah. Kevin Gale, Kevin Gale, not Kevin Gale. All right, but I think I just said the same thing twice. Right? <laughs> I, he's, he's actually, I've never had as much difficulty with his name as anybody because I I saw like a wrong phonetic yeah uh printout of his name before we did the summer league podcast and now that i've just like i can't remember which what's the right way but anyway do you think uh you know number 27 overall pick they got him uh from uh, in a trade for uh brooklyn who had that pick um do you think he can contribute at all this year i i think there's a chance and i think that's kind of who they i think they would go to him before they go to patrick patterson but from from what i've heard in, in camp it seems like he's still a little raw and it, they still want to see some more from him i mean he looked good in summer league i you know he, yeah. he shot the th- three ball well uh he, he you know i think he averaged like two blocks a game like you know uh, it was a pretty good uh defensive rebounder like th- there were some signs there of they kind of envisioned him as a three and d center um you know a little bit of like a bigger jamichael uh but but more of a rim protector and I don't know. I would say he's he's definitely not 
to the level that Terrence is, where like T- Terrence is fighting his way into the rotation. I don't think Fee has done that yet. Uh, we've yet to see him go with the bench unit in practice. He's always been with the third string uh, guys. So my guess would be he's probably not ready from, from what it sounds like. Uh, but that doesn't mean he won't be ready by midseason or, or later in the year. So I guess he, he's a potential option, but even him, you know, he, he's kind of like six, nine and a half, six, ten. Like he's a little bit smaller. Zubots is really the only true seven footer on this roster yeah. that that's, you know, providing any level of rim protection. So I think that's a legitimate concern. And I think, you know, that's, that's kind of the one move I could see this team making around the trade deadline. They've been very active the last few trade deadlines since this front office came together. And it would not surprise me if, you know, maybe someone's not playing that well or kind of out of the rotation and that ninth or 10th guy gets moved for another center. Yeah. I mean, the matching salaries, because it seems like everyone on the team kind of is a, is a good contract at this point. Um, So yeah, I think the thing to answer my own question here that maybe isn't being talked about enough is the potential for Lou and or Trez not being on this team at the end of the year and that those guys could potentially be traded. I think Lou, as we've seen the last couple of years, you know, for a team like say the Magic or the Pistons or something like he's got a lot more value for kind of your lower end playoff team or even like the Miami Heat or something. You're just a, a team that needs another creator, but maybe doesn't have championship aspirations. He's on a good contract. He's not guaranteed next year. Uh, oh no they actually they did guarantee him i forgot uh in uh yeah out of the goodness of their hearts uh for eight million but he'll certainly be worth that and then trez as well he will be an unrestricted free agent after this year um and again another guy who i think has more value for a team that just hey we just need an offensive boost badly i think he's an underrated attacker off the dribble too and that's a part of the game like if you get get him the ball on the move at the elbows you know he can really just blow by guys and just dunk on them with which i think is in addition to being a a great role man but so i think those guys as you know for all the reasons we talked about at the beginning have more value to other teams and that maybe you can try to get something either refill the coffers in terms of draft picks or and they can move their 2020 pick as well or maybe even get you know if not a star uh, you can get someone who you know at least has been like a solid starter for a long time um they don't necessarily need a ton more help on the wing but maybe that's a, a solid starting center you know maybe maybe say you know new orleans falls out of it and Derek favors becomes available or something you know he i think he would be a really nice fit with this group in a way that you know trez isn't necessarily in a, and you know they could look to re-sign someone like favors that's just a, a thought i don't know i mean i think some might argue who's better favors or trez i would say favors because of his two-way ability i'm sure people would argue with me there but uh, i don't know what do you what do you think of that possibility of those guys getting moved just due to the fit concern yeah and and, and to be clear like i, I just want to clarify like I'm not d- super down on Lou and Trez. Like I know, we, no, it was no, kind I'm, of a, I'm not either. They're they're uh, first and second in six band last year for a reason. Yeah, no. So like that that's kind of the the, the thing with this conversation is, is like you said earlier. Yeah. But we're but talking they'd about be champ- starting if they really were that good, right? Exactly. Like, they both yeah. have flaws and, and reasons why they come off the bench. And you know, when, when you're at that championship level, you know, there's a reason why championship teams tend to be top ten on both ends, if not top five. And you know, just the the margin of error at that level of, of conference finals basketball of finals basketball you can't really have a defensive liability in your rotation especially one playing as you know they're not like on the fringes of the rotation they basically were you know number two and three in minutes played last season for this team so you know they wouldn't be in in this iteration but they could still potentially be in that four five you know five six mix uh in terms of minutes so i'm with you like i I looked i started playing around with the trade machine looking at who trez could be moved for uh because of his you know he's only making six million a year like it's, it's 
it's hard to find equal value for him. Like a couple names that I saw that, you know, maybe would make some sense as, as backup options were Robin Lopez and Rashawn Holmes. And otherwise, like uh, it would seem like, yeah, I mean, you can't give him up. Just that's the thing. It's like, though, right. Like, yeah. So like all the other kind of center options are either making way more. And this team, I don't, I don't have their cap sheet in front of me, but I, I know they're, they're under the tax, but they're, they're not that far under the tax. So like, it's not like they could just take on a, a huge contract for Trez, uh, yeah, but they are, they are, uh, let's see, let me, let me dump their non-guarantees and tell you where they're at. They are, yeah, with 14 guys guaranteed, they have 2.8 million in room under the tax. Okay, exactly. So they, you know, the, the wiggle room there with Trez isn't that much. Now maybe they, they package, you know, I think another guy who, who could potentially, depending on how he plays this season, uh, be, you know, moved from them is, is Jerome Robinson because, you know, he was kind of the, the guy that, yeah. um, I guess Lou is technically going to have to sacrifice the most you know, from last season, but Jerome is the guy who just might not even get an opportunity now because you just look at all the wings and guards in front of him. Yeah. He's like the 12th or 13th guy in the roster right now. So, yeah. and he, he was is just he any good? Like, like just in 30 seconds, we need to talk about him too Ooh, much. But like, um, is he any good? He, so he, what's funny is he projected to basically be everything Landry is. And, you know, yeah, Jerome, that's the Jerome, hilarity of it, right? Like, Jerome was the 13th. And they just got someone who was better than him at all those things. Yeah, Jerome was the 13th pick, which he was projected as a late first, early second. Clippers reached, took him at 13, uh, and then ended up trading for Landry, who was a 26th pick, who was basically better than Jerome at at everything. So at (laughs) at this point, Jerome is basically a shooter who can't shoot. Like He was billed as this really good shooter, yet he shot 31% uh, on threes last season. And I don't remember exactly his his spot-up percentage, but it wasn't much better than that. So I think really the thing for him is he just has to come out and prove he can shoot uh the jury's still out on that like you know in practice it looks good and scrimmaging it looks good but actually applying it into games is kind of the next step for him and you know one thing with him too is confidence and that was really a big thing doc harped on last season where he would have open shots and pass them up and doc kind of talked about you know this is his first time not being the best guy on his team you know whether high school college whatever so he you know maybe he's been shy or a little timid at times but i think for him they want you know landry came in guns blazing first game against Boston. Uh, they had that 28 point comeback. He, he scored like 18 points, hit four threes in the fourth and, and just came out shooting. That's what they want to see from Jerome. And you know, sometimes he tries to play make a little bit because that's what he does at the G League level, but he hasn't really shown the ability to do that at the NBA level yet. So I think for him, what they really want is, you know, shoot the ball at a high level when you're open, make your shots. And, and that's kind of it. He hasn't done that consistently yet. So I don't know. I mean, I, I would say things are trending a little more pessimistically for him. And that's why part of me thinks there's a pretty good chance they end up moving him at some point. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, he, 3.5 million is what he's making this year. So he, he um, seems like one of those guys that might just need a fresh start somewhere. Yeah, where he can I could play. also see his, his, uh, rookie option getting declined maybe yeah no i i mean that, that's it yeah next year no uh i you know it i would not be surprised um especially if they are kind of trying to uh, avoid the tax you know it's a lot easier to move someone making 3.5 million if they don't have 3.7 million guaranteed for next year um big strengths for this overall group here that any that we haven't hit on yet i i'm really interested to see the offense because last season's team really was pick and roll dependent i think they actually ran the most pick and rolls uh in the league and they were really good at it 
but it just was it was more of a we have so few guys who can actually go north to south that we need to run a bunch of pick and rolls like Lou and Trez pick and roll yeah that was the bread and butter of the second unit that was the bread and butter of closing games but this was a team that didn't have a lot of penetrators and really relied on you know whether it was uh you know guys setting pick and rolls for uh for Tobias or or for Gallo or whatever like this was a very pick and roll heavy team and then you know isolations on the wings for Lou Tobias Gallo and I think you're going to see some of that you know you're still going to see the, the Lou Trez pick and roll you're now going to see isos for Kawhi and PG which is obviously much scarier than, than Tobias and Gallo but I, I'm really interested Doc said he went back and watched some of the sets he was running for Paul Pierce because he hasn't had a good three uh, during his time with the Clippers it's been Matt Barnes yeah. it's yeah, it, that's right <laughs> it's been Matt Barnes it's been Patrick you know the coaching staff called Patrick Beverly the three last season as a six foot one you know small four like they have the Clippers have it's been a running joke around the organization like they've not had a good small four really since like Corey Maggette in like you know 2008 and you know since then it's been just you know mediocrity at best at, at the small forward position so now they finally have two really good small forwards so Doc wants to bring back some of the sets he ran for Paul Pierce he he went back and, and said he watched um you know a, a lot of the offensive possessions of Kawhi and PG the last two seasons so I, I expect we're going to see some of those Kawhi isos we're going to see some pin down stuff for Paul uh similar to some of the stuff they ran for Landry and JJ and I think that's really to me going to be the interesting thing is, is what's this team offensive ceiling because I think defensively we see their strengths defensively we see their weaknesses defensively I think they should push to be around a top 10 defense when healthy but offensively this was the ninth best team offensively last season with kind of a hodgepodge of, of weird offensive pieces you know they had good offensive talent in, in Lou and Gallo and Tobias but you know none of those guys were that elite um, you know top 20 guy who could just get you 25 to 30 no matter the circumstance and now they have two of those guys and I'm really interested to see you know Doc is a very good offensive coach uh his teams are always you know in somewhere in the top 10 traditionally at least in LA so I'm really interested to see what this team's offensive ceiling is I think they could push for that top five uh again though the resting the load management like that's going to play into this where you know I, I could see them being a top five offense with Kawhi and PG but what are they without those guys or without one of them and then defensively uh, I think the strength is going to be the perimeter defense like this team is going to be able to switch two through four in most cases sometimes even one through four if Pat's on the floor uh, and they might even be able to switch you know one through five if it Jamichael is at center so I think you know defensively this is going to be a huge improvement from last season uh, I mean it doesn't get much worse than some of the players they were playing last year uh, so I I think yeah. overall strengths this should be a top 10 team on both ends uh, it's just a matter of the resting and the load management yeah I think in terms of strengths that's uh, just the ability to isolate I mean they're just they're, they're they're almost invariably going to have a matchup that is going to work for them uh with either Kawhi or PG and I'm very interested to see I mean I would imagine you're going to put the bigger wing on Kawhi he's a little bit more of a power player uh and you put the smaller guy on PG because he likes to run off screens a little bit but PG you know he's fantastic at just shooting over guys himself so yeah it really is pretty difficult you know and god I can't wait to see them match up with the Lakers when they're healthy and like you know who's LeBron going to guard who's AD going to guard that's going to be absolutely fascinating I, I think uh in terms of weaknesses that come to mind for me 
um you know you've talked about the interior stuff i think passing is actually something that this team doesn't have a ton of right now yeah and that's that's where you know the the two kind of positional criticisms people have had are another center and another point guard i think they're confident that like Lou, I think is a really underrated passer and, you know, we'll, we'll see. Maybe he's not on the team by the trade deadline, like you said, but, yeah. you, you know, they, they were confident that they've basically made him the backup point guard the last two seasons. Right. He's averaged over five assists a game both seasons. And I think they, they think he's more of a point guard than people maybe give him credit for. Uh, I think Pat's also an underrated pick and roll player and an underrated passer. Like, again, the, these aren't, you know, they're not elite or even necessarily really good, uh, you know, facilitators, but I, I think they're, they're, above average and and probably don't get the credit that they deserve uh but yeah i mean to your point like they're gonna have to run a lot of the offense through Kawhi and pg it's gonna be a lot of them making those types of reads and for as good those guys have both improved as passers uh throughout their careers but they're not lebron james and that that's kind of going to be a thing. Uh, I actually think another weakness that people haven't talked about as much could potentially be shooting. And I, yeah, just because that's why I was so adamant earlier about Shamit needing to have a role with these guys. Because you know, so Zubats and, and Trez, you know, I wrote about it, so I guess I was kind of promoting it. But there's kind of the, them both saying they want to shoot threes this season. Um, from what it sounds like at training camp, that has not gone well, and and neither one will probably be yeah. implementing that this season. So that that might have been a little bit ambitious uh but you know outside of those guys everyone else in the rotation can theoretically hit threes at a average to elite you know level and in the case of uh, Shamit and, and Beverly and, and Green but some of these guys are unproven like, like we talked about earlier with Jermichael you know he's only really had half a season shooting at that 40% level and you know maybe like you said he just needs to be at around 35% yeah. and that's good enough but you know he, he's also shot under that before so you know where where does he end up uh Lou isn't the best spot up shooter uh Pat has had some inconsistent shooting and then we know with Mo Harkless I mean he shot 29% on threes yeah, last season he, he's 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 not on the Blazers because he hasn't hit shots in the playoffs. That's basically what it boils down to. So, you know, what happens with him and, and you know, similar thing with Roddy Magruder where he, he's fluctuated between 34 and 40%. Uh, so, and then Terrence Mann can't shoot threes at this point in, until proven otherwise. So I'm just like, wh- where's the shooting coming from? You know, that might end up taking a higher priority than anything w- around Kawhi and PG is who are the guys making shots? And again, that's where I go to Pat Beverly, Landry Shamit, Jamichael Green. Like those guys make sense around Kawhi and PG. And, and that's why I think those guys will probably close games. Yeah, it, they are, of course, helped by the fact that both Kawhi and PG are excellent off-ball players themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so like those guys, you're just both with their ability to do stuff off the dribble and being big scorers and their ability to hit spot-up shots. Uh, you know, I think like those guys kind of both started as three and D type of players and then were able to evolve beyond that. So they're perfectly capable of playing that role. So that's, I think that can help to mitigate that a little bit. Um, another thing I would look at is I think they're not going to be any good on the break. I, I don't really see who the guy is who's going to push the ball for this team. Yeah. So that that's actually where they like Terrence is they, they kind of view him as a get it and go point guard. Uh, you know, he's a pretty good rebounder because he has been like a three for, for most of his career. Uh, you know, Doc's been saying like, he's, he's a point guard. He's always been a point guard, but he just didn't know it. And, and Terrence hasn't played that position since, since high school. So, you know, that, that is kind of how they envision him. But yeah, outside of that, like, you know, I was looking into it. Uh, you know, OKC played at a faster pace than the Clippers last season. And then OKC and Toronto were both better fast breaking teams. So I know that wasn't just because of Kawhi and PG and, and their other players and, and factors like 
that go into that. But I'm thinking maybe with, with some of the chaos they're looking to create defensively, some of the turnovers they can force, uh, playing the passing lanes, like that's something that PG and Kawhi like to do. Maybe they get out and transition more that way. But yeah, I mean, this was a uh, slightly below average transition team last season. I don't really see... Again, like maybe from creating steals and stuff that kind of ignites that. But to your point, like this is not a great fast breaking team. And, you know, in the, in the half court offense, uh, they were really good last season. I think they were fourth in, in points per possession in the half court offense, but, oh, yeah. uh, you know, in the transition, they were not that good. So that's going to be something to watch for uh, as well. Yeah, I do think turnovers could, could help mitigate that. And then I think health, obviously. We, mm-hmm. We've hit on that a little bit. But Kawhi specifically, I wanted to talk a little bit about because, okay, he's not going to get load managed as much this year. He's now uh, over a year removed from the issue that cost him so much time in San Antonio. And by the way, everyone, anyone who is saying that he was just like faking that injury to get out of there, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that you know, he certainly has issues. And then he was developing soreness in the other knee due to overcompensation last year during the playoffs and as amazing as he was last year i thought he really like Giannis. he was able to guard because of his strength but i thought he really looked slow compared to the guy that we've been in. like he couldn't guard perimeter players last year in the playoffs like steph curry was killing him whenever he got switched onto him or they and they wouldn't switch those actions when he was guarding draymond they would just play conventional pick and roll defense because he just wasn't able to get out there and so i still have some concerns that this is just going to be a chronic issue that's all that's a lot of of what we heard in 1718 for him and that it's just gonna have to kind of manage him get him there to the playoffs and then you know hope that he can make it through two really hard months so that that worries me a little bit and you know he hasn't had like a severe injury you know an acute injury yet but i i don't think that this whole thing is just like oh he's just fine now you know the, that's my opinion on it at least yeah no and i think i think there's a lot of credit to what you're saying um you know from what the clippers have been saying he looks i don't think he's like fully 100 percent, but he's pretty close to 100 percent. you know he's said that he feels much better right now than he did at this point last season and that's yeah. why he he doesn't want to load manage as much. Uh, so, you know, from the Clippers side, I think they're just being extra cautious where, you know, there, there's been some people asking like, well, why isn't he playing in preseason? Now we found out today he might play tomorrow uh, versus Denver, but that would probably be the only game he plays in. Uh, but, you know, they're going to be as cautious as possible. You know, I think part of the reason why that relationship fractured in San Antonio was because of the, the you know, kind of the pushback against what he was supposed to do and, you know, them being a little bit skeptical of, of the severity of the injury. And, and how long he had to be out. So I think the Raptors learned from that. I think the Clippers are trying to learn from that as well. And it, it's just going to be a lot of babying him in terms of, you know, if there's for whatever, you know, if their doctors say he shouldn't play for whatever reason, or, the, you know, the, the load has become too much, um, you know, he's played seven straight games and they think he should rest that eighth game. Like that's what's going to happen. And if that costs them a seed, which it very well could in, in the playoffs, they're going to live with that, you know, as long as it doesn't cost, yeah. cost well, the playoffs. Well, especially because he can leave in two years. Exactly. <laughs> that's, and that's a little bit of a concern too. Yeah, no. And, and that's where, you know, I, it's going to be really fascinating to see what his threshold is for staying in, in terms of, you know, is there a certain expectation? Like we have to make the conference finals both seasons I'm here or I'm leaving, or we yeah. have to win a championship while I'm here or I'm leaving. It, I'm, it does I, seem like he really prioritized the geography aspect. I though. think so. I, I think with him and Paul, you've, you've already, you know, Paul, just bought DeAndre Jordan's old house out here in LA. And I think the way both guys have talked about being back in LA and just being closer to their families and, and being able to raise their children out here and stuff like it sounds like to me, they're going to both re- 
re-sign barring like a lob city type collapse uh or them just completely hating each other but already in practice you you've seen the, them interacting and you know they both basically chose to play together and team up whereas a lot of these kind of star duos or, or you know trios they're not they don't necessarily pick the team up it's one guy somewhere else uh and, and then another guy joins him this was like a let's both go to the clippers and and make this happen so i'm more optimistic that they're going to resign barring again like they blow a 3-1 lead or or you know they just absolutely hate each other that's kind of the only way i see them not resigning in 2021 but uh, yeah like to your point i think there's some concern like i think there's some concerns with pg too you know i, sure. I like we don't know i mean it seems like shoulder injuries tend to heal close to 100% and he should probably be fine once he's back but you know he's gonna have to load manage himself and this was one of those things that flared up last season that you know really cost him an MVP caliber season and then you saw the way he was playing up until you know I think it kind of kicked in February March and and kind of his play since that point he was not the same guy and if you're the Clippers you're really hoping you get that MVP caliber Paul George player back because yeah I think I think the other thing you know we've talked about how good they could be offensively in terms of just having those two level of, of isolation guys but i think really that arguably that the strength with, with adding those two guys is like you know if you're playing the lakers those are two of maybe the three best defenders we've seen against lebron james in a playoff series with the other one being sure. andre gudala uh you know you're playing Giannis in the finals you're playing ben simmons in the finals you're you're playing james harden and russell westbrook in the playoffs like those two guys can you know are really two of the only guys in the league who could defend star level scores and, yeah. and at least limit if them Kawhi if they're healthy. healthy so yeah if Kawhi, that, I, I I mean, Kawhi did a great job on Giannis, but I think for like guys who are a little more slippery, we'll see. Yeah, and the other question about George too to me, I mean, you know, we, it, it's kind of funny because on these previews, a lot of times I find myself spending very little time talking about the actual stars because it's like, all right, we know, we in theory know who these guys are and the question marks come elsewhere and how's everybody going to fit around the stars. But George, you mentioned it, right? He was for a lot of that time in OKC was a top five player in the league when i go and do my rankings usually i kind of have him you know in that second or third tier and i thought last year was by far the best season of his career so if they're getting a top five level of player in the nba versus getting okay one top five player in Kawhi, and then george is a good second banana and then you've just got a lot of depth around him if you really have two top five players you know that's it goes a long way to determining whether they in fact are going to be the nba champions this year and, and you know i think it's more likely to me that George regresses a little bit back to that, you know, super superstar level, but maybe not like, you know, championship foundation superstar type of level. Um, but yeah, and and with us, you know, even if he's healthy, having not been able to work on his game for six months doesn't help that either. So I'm uh, very curious to see how good he looks when he finally comes back. So uh, on the Paul front, he's actually doing everything in practice except uh, contact stuff. So yeah. them going through, like we've seen him actually playing one-on-one with guys, which he probably shouldn't be doing. Uh, but like in terms of, of shooting and, and dribbling, like he's basically doing everything except taking hits. So Oh, that's good. So yeah, I, I think, and he's been doing that since... Uh, I want to, it's been a few weeks now, I'd say close to a month, if not more. So from that perspective, like, I guess he, he's closer, I think in that regard than, than probably most people think, but yeah, I mean, there's a difference when you're actually taking the hits, uh, especially to your shoulder, driving into guys, like we'll see yeah. what, what he, where he's at in, in a month from now or, or so when he comes back. All right. Uh, we are dragging on, but this is, a, <laughs> is of course a, a fascinating team. Let's take a quick break and then we'll get to predictions here. I want to tell you about one of my favorite sponsors, Blinkist. And one of the reasons they're my favorite sponsors is I had actually wished for a product like this before I'd even heard of it. 
I would read a lot of nonfiction books. And after it was done, I'd be like, okay, you know, I spent like five hours, eight hours reading this book. I'm really reading it for kind of enrichment, not necessarily entertainment. I, I want just the facts to better my life with or to really learn. But like, how much of this do I really remember? Right. I mean, obviously any book needs to be entertaining, but even these nonfiction books, a lot of them, great as they are and entertaining as they are, they're not necessarily presenting eight hours worth of information are you really going to retain eight hours worth of information no you if you're if you read one of these books and i was like hey you know tell tell me about this book what you learned you're not gonna be able to talk for eight hours about it you could probably have a conversation about it for 10 or 15 minutes well what if you can just learn all of that same information in 15 minutes that's what blinkist is built on blinkist.com slash cap space is the url to try it free for seven days and and save 25 dollars off your new subscription they now have a ridiculous number of nonfiction books. You can either listen in 15 minutes or read in 15 minutes to get the key takeaways from these nonfiction books. It works on your phone, your tablet, your web browser, everything from health to self-help titles to history, business, the four-hour work week by Tim Ferriss, emotional intelligence by Daniel Goleman is a book that I recently re-listened to the key takeaways from after I had read it in my 20s. Again, the way to get started with them and get all the books you want for one low price is to use this special offer that Blinkist has for our listeners for a limited time at Blinkist.com slash Capspace. That, again, gets you a free seven days and you can save 25% off your subscription that you inevitably are going to purchase after your seven-day trial because it's so good. That's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash cap space to start your free seven-day trial and save 25% off. Don't forget that slash cap space URL to let them know that you came from us. All right, uh, let's do it. Predicted record for the LA Clippers in the regular season. I'm going to go with, oof, I'm going to go with 52 wins for this group. Um, I think that their over-under was 54 and a half. I'm a little bit lower. I've I've actually gotten a little bit lower as as we've kind of gone through this and, and been thinking about it a little bit more and just you know, some of the load management stuff. And uh, in particular, you know, I think they're really reliant on George and Kawhi being at the top of their games to have a quality defense. I mean, they, it, that's, that to me is the big question, I guess. And maybe I should ask you that before you make your prediction. I, you, you thought they're going to be top 10 on defense. And it's just, it's tough to peg these guys, right? Because they don't have the traditional rim protector that you're, and rim protection that you're usually building this around. They have these two all-world guys in theory on the perimeter if they're healthy. And then you've kind of got, you know, a bunch of other guys who are kind of more support defensive players who can be solid, but, you know, aren't necessarily stopper types. Um, and then you've also, if you're going to play Lou and Trez on the second unit, you're not going to stop anybody and, you know, they're not going to stop you either. But uh, so that's going to drag your defense down. So I kind of have them more for the regular season being like, you know, the 12th best defense in the NPA. Do you, do you see that as possible or am I just way too low on them? I definitely see that as possible. And I think, again, it's just so hard to predict, you know, if Paul George is back like November 5th that and, and misses like seven games, that kind of starts to swing this projection. Uh, I'm kind of more thinking he's going to miss somewhere in the 12 to 15 game range. So, I, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, we're kind of on similar pages here. I think, well, I think the one guy that doesn't get enough credit for his defense is Zubats. Um, like if, if you, yeah, if, he's huge. 
He's huge. He's really huge. Uh, just lifting his arms up, he, he's almost at the rim. And if you actually kind of toggle with some of the rim protection stuff, like he's obviously not at that Gobert, Embiid, Miles Turner level, but he's arguably in the conversation for that second tier or at least tier three, um, you know, with some of the other rim protectors. So, you know, again, he, he's, not, he's not, you're not, it's not a Rudy Gobert level, def, you know, defender where you're going to build your entire defense into funneling to him. But the Clippers defense actually got better. That was kind of, now there's some noise in that because it's the second, you know, post mid-February and, you know, some teams are tanking in March and April and stuff. But really, they were a top 10 defense after they made the trades until the last week and a half. I, I just went back and, and double checked just to make sure. And, you know, they ended up being the 17th best defense after they made those trades, but they were in the top 10 until April 1st, where the, the last few games of the season, they actually were going to be the sixth seed. And then they blew a couple games and ended up being the eighth seed. But, you know, so I don't know how much you could take from that, but I mean, last year's team was just looking at the guys that were logging minutes for this team. And the fact that yeah. you could have a top 10 defense with, with some of these guys, um, and, and a lot of those guys are back. But I think adding, you know, of course, Kawhi and PG, but Mo Harkless, Rodney Magruder, uh, I think another year of having Landry Shamit and Jermichael Green and Zubots, uh, you know, in training camp and, and getting them more acclimated with Doc's system. Like, I think this team is probably better than, than you know, maybe some people think. Um, although some people think they're really good. I, I don't think they're the best defense. Like some people, are, you know, they're not the best defense in the league. I don't know if they're going to be top five, but I kind of see them more in that seven to 10 range. Now, yeah. it's, it's really going to depend on, again, like how healthy healthy Kawhi and PGR because without those two guys they definitely take a big hit defensively so yeah, record how much do Lou and Trez play as well I mean I'm kind of thinking during the regular year they play a little more but you know I've got them in like the six to a tier with some a bunch of other teams in like the six to 14 range so I, I'd certainly acknowledge that with their best units I think they're going to be really good it's more just I think Trez and Lou are going to play a lot and that's going to hurt their defense but and, the, and, and some, something uh, so I, I wrote about this today on their sliding lineups like something I've, I've also heard would be potentially putting Pat on the bench unit and and then yeah. starting you know Landry or Terrence I guess probably Landry and kind of almost divvying up the defenders where you know yeah. you're going to have Kawhi, PG and Zubots and, and either Harkless or Green with the starters and then off the bench you're going to have uh the other one of Harkless and Green, Magruder and Pat and that's going to hopefully kind of shore up those second unit uh lineups defensively a little bit. So th- they're kind of testing all of that stuff. They're, they're trying to figure out what the best rotation is. The one thing I'll say that we didn't talk about is uh Doc is still planning on doing two separate units. Uh, so don't expect a full stagger of like Kawhi or PGs always on the court. Oh uh, man, uh, uh, Clippers <laughs> Clippers fans just had a, a flashback to like 2014 and 2015. Um, like but, they're, uh, they're considering get, their bench is a little better now. Yeah, the, the bench is better. They like Lou and Trez together, um, and, and they they want to make sure yeah. those guys are happy and, and you know feed them. So it, it's always the old adage of like you know if, if you're not getting the ball, you're not scoring. You're probably not going to play defense. So they don't want those guys having any reason not to play defense. So I expect they'll mainly get there will be some times where they they might play a few minute stretches here or there with pg or Kawhi with the second group but for the most part uh, the plan as of right now is to keep it two separate units uh as for record prediction i'm a little more optimistic with the, than you i'm gonna go 53 uh with i just wish i knew how when paul was actually coming back because i've, I've heard you talk to multiple people around the clippers you're gonna get multiple answers so like if you told me he's coming back november 5th november 10th i might go like 55 56 wins you tell me he's coming back November 20th, November 25th, 
I might go 52, 53. So it really just kind of depends on, on when he's coming back, but I think I'll kind of split it and go 53. I think they will be the three seed. Uh, and you know, so they'll probably have to win a series or two on the road, but you know, I think they, they can do that depending on who the top two seeds are. So, uh, that's my prediction. Uh, I will say, I, I don't know if you want a full season prediction. I think as of right now, this team is the clearly, in my opinion, the best team in the league. I think if healthy and if they can find another center and kind of shore up that hole, they should win the championship, uh, assuming things kind of go to plan. So my official prediction would be 53 wins, three seed and winning the championship against the Sixers in the final. Interesting. Yeah, I think as of now, I have the Bucks, if only because I think they have the best chance at getting there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think a fully healthy Clippers group going up against the Bucks, I think I probably would like the Clippers. And as you mentioned, the, they if they do have holes, they have the ammunition to upgrade them, which is uh, nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I need to really think about it. I mean, I think they probably, to me, are the best team in the West, but they also just uh, went healthy. But the fact that I don't think they're going to be necessarily the one or the two seed, you know, that they could have to win two series uh, on the road. The fact that there are some major health concerns, especially with Kawhi, uh, you know, the whole how do you fit in Trez and Lou Williams thing like this. They have a lot more question marks here than I think some people are like, oh, they got uh paul george and Kawhi, they're gonna win it yeah. you know i think that's a, a little bit reductive uh to me um yeah I, i'm more thinking just like if if it's playoff time and you know they, they reduce this to a nine-man rotation and and really are playing their best units uh, i just think the combination like you mentioned earlier of just you know multi-positional two-way guys uh the level of shooting they can put uh, if everyone is, is shooting well you know that's that's where mo harkless i think is going to be kind of an x factor is you know what type of mo harkless shooting season do you get because if you get a good one um you know he's going to be a very valuable piece for this team so you know depending on what they can add and, and kind of how they mix like i just think this team probably has the highest ceiling in the league and it, yeah, it forced the i agree with right you now that that would be my pick yeah i mean and, and there definitely are if you really go down to it yeah they have some weaknesses but at their best i think their weaknesses are the most manageable uh of any of these teams and they have you know probably more ammunition to go get some some help than milwaukee philly might be a little bit better off than them but you know they still have trust and they they have lewis as potential assets to, to move um and this front office certainly has not been loath to <laughs> trade people when it's needed, despite the fact that those have been kind of the two feel-good aspects of this team, and especially if they feel like Trez is going to get a contract next year that maybe they're not that into. But um, best case scenario, I'd go with 58 wins. I don't think they can quite get to 60 just due to the load management and the injuries. Um and obviously winning the championship uh, as well. Would you be in that range as well? Yeah, I, I think, I guess absolute best I could see them getting, I'll say 59. Uh, I, I want to say 60, but I'm kind of with you where it's like, the, yeah. it's just, I, I think P, there's no way PG doesn't miss 10 plus games and, and that I think yeah. is going to matter. Uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll go 59. Yeah, I agree with you what you were talking about earlier, you know, that, that there are ways they could get to 47. Again, you know, when we talk about worst case scenario, we're not saying, hey, you know, somebody three guys suffer season ending injuries but when you just look at the injury histories of of these players and the load management of these players you know kind of a worst case scenario for where they've been in recent years you know i think you could you can get there potentially especially when you consider you know that this team without paul and without Kawhi, you know they're kind of close to a 500 level a team 
you know, and I think even if only one of those guys is playing, eh, you know, I'm not sure this is like that they're going to play at a 50 win level if you only have one of those guys healthy. I think they're kind of more of a high 40s type of win team uh, with only one of those guys healthy to me. Yeah, especially in the West. And, and that, you know, that can't be, yeah. um, you know, discounted is like just, you know, there might be two gimmies in the West if that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess on the lower end, I'd probably, yeah, I guess I'll say 47 too. Like that, that you know, 47, 48 seems to me kind of that that lower end. Um, I, I'd be shocked if they're at like 43, 44, like that that would just be season gone wrong. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll say I'll say 47 as well. Any matchups in the, uh, and you just say this quickly, I know it kept you for a long time here, but any matchups in the postseason that you think are especially good or bad for them? I think the Lakers are going to be the toughest matchup, uh, you know, and they're arguably the toughest matchup for anyone in the West just because of, you know, if you have a healthy and clicking LeBron and AD, that's just going to be really difficult. Like, I, I totally agree that I don't see how they defend uh, Kawhi and PG. And even, you know, throw out Lou because you might have to put, I mean, I don't even know what lineup they're going to go with, but like you might have to put one of your smaller guys on like Kawhi or PG. And then it's like, who's guarding Lou? And I just think yeah. that the Clippers can cause a lot of matchup problems for them. Obviously on the other end, Lakers, you know, LeBron's LeBron and then AD, I think is going to have his way with the Clippers potentially, uh, depending on how they defend him. So I would probably say the Lakers w- would scare me the most. Um, in terms of like who I don't think they'd be afraid of, uh, I think Denver caused matchup problems for them last season and Jokic is still going to be a problem. But now that they added two really big, you know, good isolation scoring wings, I just don't really love the Denver matchup from the Denver side. Um, yeah. like, you know, if you're throwing Gary Harris and, and Tory Craig or, or Will Barton on Kawhi and PG, like, I, I just, I don't love that for yeah. Denver. I mean, maybe, that, maybe that'll side. just be a, a f- I mean, there's so many of these matchups. These are like such weird teams with such defined strengths and weaknesses, right? I mean, you know, Denver did get uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Grant, Grant yeah. and I think and I think he can help and Millsap can help. But, uh, you know, I don't know if you can play both those guys together at the same time, which is, of course, the strategic dilemma that this team with George and Kawhi are just going to force everyone into. Um, I think they match up pretty good with the Rockets, yeah. too. Do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Rockets, um, the, the Blazers, though, I'm kind of low on the Blazers, so I don't really see them yeah. at upper echelon. Well, the Blazers just have nobody to guard them. Yeah. Like, they're, they're, they're just, those guys are just going to destroy the, the Blazers I think yeah no so um, those, I, I would say those are the, the best and worst matchups um, yeah and, and Golden State I think they match up great against too I mean I, I'm, I'm not I'm putting <laughs> Golden State pretty low with just you know but maybe you Utah, know, Utah's another whatever, interesting but, one where yeah. Utah has some some defenders but I think on the other end Kawhi and PG could you know if you're sticking those guys on Donovan Mitchell and, and Mike Conley like they could bother yeah. those guys with their length and um you know and the, but that's also where I think guys like Mo Harkless and Rodney Magruder come in where you can kind of have them do some of the dirty work and if they get in foul trouble or whatever yeah. that's where Kawhi and pg step up and that's i think going to be another form of load management kind of during the regular season is you, you might see mo harkless take the top defensive assignments in the starting lineup if he's starting and, and kind of give Kawhi or pg the night off uh defensively unless they really have to defend so i think that's going to be another thing to watch is almost like the lebron kind of taking uh kind of plays off defensively as a form of rest you, you might see something similar with Kawhi and pg all right well 
Another thing to watch is your coverage uh, of the Clippers uh, on the athletic. Uh, last year was your first year as a beat guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I really, really enjoyed your, your coverage of that Clippers Warriors series. Uh, that was fun. And, uh, I know you've been, uh, you've been really worming your way in there these days. So, uh, I'm trying. <laughs> good, good, good job uh, on that. You get a, a lot of good nuggets, just like the, the ones that you had, uh, in this podcast. So thanks again, uh, for joining us. And, uh, we'll be back tomorrow with, uh, another slightly less interesting interesting preview but uh based on the team not the guest but uh this still worth listening to uh we hope so we'll talk to you all then